Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly asked them, ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them about the, that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, today we are in week two of our Lenten series, Journey to the Cross. Last week, Sterling led us in thinking about how we are to follow Jesus, our leader, and we looked at the passage of Jesus's baptism and Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And this week, we are continuing to look at Jesus, our leader, and following him as we are called to take up our cross. But before we get there, I need to tell you about my star word for the year. If the concept of a star word is new to you, you are not alone. This is a relatively new way that churches have celebrated Epiphany. Epiphany, as you'll remember, is the day on or closest to January 6th when we remember the Magi following a star to find the newborn king. And so to mark this day, some churches have, began, have begun having these words written on a star-shaped sheet of paper, and they have them on the altar, and at the end of the Epiphany service, people are invited to come forward, pick a star at random, and let that word guide them throughout the year. So I think this is a really fun practice, and even though I don't live in Atlanta anymore, my friend Michelle does, and her church celebrates Star Words with Epiphany. So each year since we've moved, I've asked her to pick me a word and to text me a picture of it, and that'll be my word that will guide me throughout the year. Well, last year I received the word content and thought, well, this is great. I do need to practice contentment. So I tried to focus on the goodness of God in every situation, being grateful for the things that I had, and celebrating simplicity. Well, this year, my reaction was a bit different when I received the word surrender. I received this word in a text message while I was in Boston. My mom was in the hotel with Callie. I was in classes, and I literally laughed when I saw the word because I thought, I thought surrender was last year. When I was pregnant, when Micah got a new job, when we moved houses, when I had a baby, 
felt like we did a lot of surrendering in 2023. So I was not super excited to have this as my guiding word for 2024. I kind of felt like, what else do I really need to surrender? Well, it turns out there are lots of things, like having to give Callie to her teachers at daycare for the first time, or having to ask people to watch her when I have class, or having to get up my want for more sleep, or my typical practice before of going to the gym and getting to do extracurricular activities. Or how about when I learned that two of my favorite people and mentors will be moving in the summer? All of these things have required a real surrender on my part. A surrender of control, a surrender of my plans, and a surrender of what I would desire. For Lent this year, I decided to lean in even more because why not? That's what Lent is all about, challenging yourself. So each day, I'm finding something in our house to surrender. And Micah has joked that I'm probably just cleaning out all of his stuff. But it's not a joke, he says. The only thing of his that I have given away, I asked permission and replaced it. So there's that. But there are lots of things in our house that we don't use, that we just kind of have, that could be really useful for someone else. So I have made it my Lenten practice to find one thing each day to give away, because I'm hoping that in this practice of physical surrender, that it will help me with the harder parts of surrender. Our passage today is definitely about surrender, but this is not just a star word for 2024. This act of taking up our cross and following Jesus is a call to surrender for all of our days. Besides Jesus, the main character in our passage this morning is Peter. And I wonder what you think about Peter. He has a confusing track record, to say the least. It was Peter and Andrew who were two of the first disciples that Jesus called while they were fishing. But it was also Peter who sank when Jesus asked him to step out onto the water. It was Peter on which Jesus said, You are the rock that I will build my church. But it was also Peter who denied Jesus three times after he died. And in this passage, Peter is similarly confused. He has been with Jesus, he has heard the teachings, he has seen the miracles. So when they're on the way to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus is crowdsourcing, who do people say that I am? They answer, you are John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. But when Jesus presses further and says, but who do you say that I am? Peter boldly answers, you are the Messiah. Shortly after this, Jesus begins to teach them about his impending suffering, death, and resurrection. And what does Peter do but call Jesus aside and rebukes him? We aren't told exactly what Peter says, but I have to imagine it's something along the lines of, don't say that kind of stuff. Surely you're powerful enough to stop the persecution. Jesus, this isn't a good look for you. This rebuke prompts Jesus to rebuke him back, to publicly correct him, and to teach plainly about discipleship. On the one hand, it's hard to know what to do with Peter. He's so hot and cold, in and out. But then again, Peter might be the best, most honest representation of humanity trying to follow Jesus. Peter is intrigued by Jesus, but he's not totally bought in. He has faith, 
but also some serious doubts. He seeks to understand, yet often puts his foot in his mouth. In this passage, perhaps we can see a little of ourselves in Peter. We know Jesus, we've heard his teachings, and we've seen the miracles. But are we actually willing to surrender it all, to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Jesus is clear in this passage that being his disciple is not a spectator sport. To be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, requires action, sacrifice, and surrender on our part. In verse 24, Jesus says, If any want to be my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Although this reference to the cross may have been a prophetic prediction about Jesus' own impending death, crucifixion was also a well-known Roman form of capital punishment. Convicted criminals carried their own crosses to die this slow, painful death. So the cross was not a random form of suffering, nor was it a symbol of hope that we use it for today. A cross was a cruel and public punishment for troublemakers and rebels of the time. So I want you to imagine how confused the disciples must have been. This is the modern-day equivalent of someone saying, take up your electric chair and follow me. It's shocking, it's crude, and we think, are you sure this is what you mean, Jesus? But as usual, Jesus is using the systems that they knew, he's speaking their language, to explain something that they don't understand about his kingdom and about his ways. So in this passage, Jesus uses the word cross for explaining to them what it means to choose a life wholly dedicated to God, a life where you are willing to lose it all. You know, taking up our cross and surrendering to God's will goes against the grain, to say the least. In our culture that promotes self-centeredness and instant gratification and the pursuit of material wealth and achievement and status, embracing the cross seems daunting and countercultural, and it can even seem unappealing. We might quietly wonder, is it really worth it to give it all? I think these are some of the questions that Peter and the other disciples were probably wrestling with as they calculated the cost of discipleship. When Jesus begins to teach them about his suffering, death, and resurrection, they do not understand what he's saying. Not only is Mark chapter 9 the middle of the Gospel of Mark, but it's also kind of Mark chapter 8, I'm sorry, kind of splits the book of Mark into two. The first um, one through seven chapters of Mark are all about Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his healings. But from here on, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, and he talks a lot about his death to come, his suffering, the persecution. And so Jesus, this is the first time that he's telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen if you follow me. Well, it will take two more times of Jesus explaining it before they start to understand what it means. Oh, Jesus, our friend, our teacher, the Messiah is going to die, and he's invited us to follow him. You see, discipleship is all about surrender, yielding to our plan Yielding to God's plan rather than our own. Yielding to God's vision for the future rather than what we can see. 
yielding to the path God sets before us rather than demanding our own way. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow where he leads, to live after his example, and part of that is letting go of our need for answers or clarity about exactly what that's going to look like, trusting that God is trustworthy and good. In the past 2,000 years since Jesus and his first example following the leader, we have had countless of women and men do just this, take up their cross, follow Jesus, and give us more modern-day examples of what it can look like. I'm sure that everyone in this room can think of someone in their lives, maybe a family member or a mentor, who you have looked up to as someone who has given it all for Jesus. These people are so important because they encourage us to keep going in the faith. They show us what it can look like to be a 21st century disciple, and they even inspire us to leave a faith legacy of our own. But the person I want to highlight today, I think, goes really well with this passage. And he was a Roman Catholic monk named Thomas Merton. Merton was born in France in 1915. He converted to Catholicism when he was in college. And from that point on, for the 27 remaining years of his life, he dedicated himself to Christ and to writing books to help other people grow in their relationship with God. He wrote over 70 books on the spiritual life, nonviolence, and social justice. Knowing this, knowing that he was such a highly sought-out spiritual writer, author, and thinker, I invite you to hear one of his most famous prayers that was written in 1956. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you, and I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. I love this prayer because it is so honest. Merton was a professional Christian. He was a monk. He had dedicated his entire life to following after God. He is arguably the most influential American Catholic author and spiritual leader of the 20th century, and yet he still has questions about what it means to be a disciple. Am I doing this right? Is this what you have called me to do? Am I headed in the right direction? He admits that he does not understand it all. He's not certain that he is doing exactly what God has called him to do, and still he presses on in faith. But there's one more part of this prayer and a part of our passage today that I want to highlight. With all of the uncertainty embedded in this prayer from Thomas Merton, he ends with one final truth, that we are not alone. God is with us as we take up our cross. God is with us as we deny ourselves and God is with us as we lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. 
Jesus models the same presence for Peter in our passage today and throughout Peter's life. Notice when Peter rebukes Jesus, he doesn't send him away or kick him out of the disciples' club. He continues to teach him, he corrects him, and continues to walk alongside Peter. When Peter begins to sink when he's walking on water, Jesus reaches out a hand and pulls him back into the boat. After Peter rejects Jesus three times, Jesus cooks him a fish breakfast and invites him to come and join him on the shore. God did not promise easy journeys or all knowledge about what it will look like to be a disciple, but presence along the way means we do not have to face this alone. And not only do we have the divine presence of God with us, we also have the presence of one another. In this passage, when Jesus is speaking and saying, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me, Jesus is speaking to the whole crowd that was gathered, and that extends to all of us today. We all have our individual crosses that we need to bear, that we need to pick up to follow Jesus, but we are together walking in the same direction towards Jesus. That's why we gather each week to be reminded of these truths, to remember our covenant with God and with one another, and to support each other on this long journey that can seem really difficult at times. So throughout Lent, we have these 40 days set aside to fast and pray, to examine our hearts and to prepare for Easter. I wonder if there are some things that you might need to surrender in order to recenter your heart and mind on Christ. Perhaps like me, you need a star word like surrender to force you into this kind of thinking. If so, you can join me in giving away something every day. Because I can promise you that giving away a pair of shoes is a lot easier than surrendering your plans. It's a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to surrender an old toaster than it is our dreams. And it's a lot easier to surrender some books than it is to surrender our very lives. But in the practice of surrender, we will begin to see that what we receive is so much greater than what we have given as Jesus says, those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. <coughs> so in surrender, we receive this gift of salvation. So when we surrender our lives, our futures, our very selves to God, we are opened to the abundant life that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, a life marked with peace, joy, and abundance. We discover that our worth and significance are not determined by the physical things we have or our external achievements, but all that we are is defined by our, our relationship with God. So may we embrace this call to surrender wholeheartedly, knowing that in doing so, we enter into the fullness of who God has called us to be. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.